Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. I would say that you are love and people want you here. People need you here, people in your life, people in the community, even people you haven't met yet. Welcome to Habits You Love, a thought-provoking podcast about self-love, self-healing, and spiritual evolution. I'm Kayla Fazio, and with each episode, it is my mission to expand your mind to what you think is possible for you and provoke thoughts of looking at your own healing you may need and help you discover the power you have within you to build healthy habits and create a life you love. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, we are joined by Shai Ann Williams, who I don't know quite well, but we're going to get to know her a little bit more today. We met, let's see, it was been a couple of months um, in February. We met at the Out of Darkness AFSP Suicide Walk here in Sarasota at Nathan Benderson. Um, I was there for the very first time. I was helping Liz Lowe from Scorch. We were actually doing the warm up. For everyone about to do the walk, which was super fun. Um, and then I got a little bit more involved. I think I followed up with Ashley and Wendy. And um, so I am now on the committee for the um, suicide walk and out of darkness walk here in Sarasota locally and, and the four happening in the state of Florida. So that's been super fun to be involved uh, with that. But you obviously have way more experience and um, with all this. So I definitely want to dive deeper more into your story um, I do want to give her a very big trigger warning here. We are going to be talking about suicide today. And while it's going to be informative and educational, I just want to have a viewer and listener discretion. That's strongly advised. Um, so listen at your discretion. So, all right. So welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, I don't have as much experience as a lot of people that are on our committees and um, on the board. But I have been with AFSP since 2019. I attended my first walk here um, in 2020. I decided to join the walk committee, just like mm, you did. Mm -hmm. And a year later, they asked me to be a member on the board of representatives. Um, so I started doing that and I became the volunteer coordinator. So I've worked with all of Southwest Florida to coordinate volunteers for different programming, walks, and as well as being um, on the walk committees. Cool. Um, so what is your connection to suicide? Do you have one? Is there a reason why you do what you do now yeah. and why you wanted to be involved? So I have had many encounters with suicide. Um, growing up in high school, we lost two students. Um, I want to say a month apart mm. from each other to suicide. And at the time, um, you know, being a teenager, you're just in your own world. Mm. So you didn't really think too much of it. Um, then as I got older, my mom was very sick and she suffered from multiple sclerosis, but I didn't know that she also suffered from mental health. So I lost my mom in 2016 mm. to suicide. Um, and then about, I want to say six or seven months after that, I lost one of my really good friends. Um, 
who was much older than I was, but I didn't know she was suffering as well. So I was kind of in this like giant bubble of, oh my gosh, this is a real big problem. Mm. Um, And I didn't know where to turn. And I actually found AFSP through a hospital that I had been working for who sponsored the walk. Mm. Um, And they came to me and they asked if I would be the captain for their team. And yeah, that's... And and here you are. That's how I got involved. Oh my gosh. So if you don't mind me asking, when were you in high school? What year was this? I graduated in 2012. Okay. Okay. So from high school. So you're four years younger than me. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Cause I was going to say like, I mean, with my connection with suicide, I, suicide is a, was never a word that Mm -hmm. was ever used in anyone's vocabulary that I knew. I've never like even in in school or anything, I've never, it was never a thing. Um, and so my mom ended up committing suicide in 2015. Um, after dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety. Um, and so that was just, it was just crazy. Like I still, to this day, it's weird connecting myself to suicide, um, that it did happen because she's really the only person I know that's ever done it. Um, and so it's still very strange to me that I look back and I have to say, you know, my mother did take her life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just never a thing in school for us. Like, I don't know anyone that ever did it. Nothing ever happened in middle school, high school. So I think now it's, it's very strange to me. I was just having a conversation with someone last night talking about how mental health therapy, all this is becoming more mainstream while at the same time, the rates are increasing. So it was like, why is this happening? So we definitely want to get into some statistics today. I know you're very involved with AFSP and, um, you just went to somewhere? Where, where did you go again? Yeah, we just went to Washington, D.C. for the advocacy forum mm-hmm. where we met with our legislators. Um, we had three big asks. The focus was on veteran um, services, mental health for teens and mm-hmm. schools. And then the third one was more funding for 988. Mm, okay, what's 988? The hotline? Yep, yeah. 988 is the new hotline for crisis um, intervention that mm. you call, and it's mm-hmm. nationwide as of July of last year. Oh, cool. Awesome. So by doing that, I mean, have you seen any sort of like change in the reasons why this may be happening? Like, why do you, why are these numbers increasing at such a such a rapid rate? I personally don't know if the numbers are necessarily increasing as much as more people are aware of them. Mm. I think that suicide has always been a very prevalent thing Mm. in society, um, especially if you look at the numbers all over the world. So it has been an issue. I think more people are willing to talk about it and be open about it. And that is a big thing at AFSP that we're trying to push for Mm -hmm. is to come out of the darkness. That's where our walk name came from. Um, but I do think that, you know, a lot of things that especially younger generations have today puts more of a mental strain Mm -hmm. on them as well. Yeah. So if we're looking at some of these statistics, um, worldwide over 700,000 people a year, I mean, in the UK, 115 a week. Um, and like you said, maybe more people are coming forward, like, one in five people say they have suicidal thoughts, one in 14 self-harm, one in 15 attempt. Um, so yeah, I think it is, it is getting more and more out there, but it's still, yeah, the numbers are still shockingly high. Um, and 
yeah. So let's go ahead and go to the yeah the next one. So talk going more to teen. I mean, I, I think really the main age range here for suicide. What I saw was like twenty four to thirty five or something like that. But it is getting a lot more prevalent in, in teens. And I think, um, you know, the impact of social media, the, the, there's so much out there. It's more, uh, more inclined to get bullied, you know, via online through these apps that parents don't know about these, all these secret things that people could do. And then they vanish and all that. Uh, a lot of com more comparison. And I think kids just don't know, they don't give their brains long enough time to develop and actually understand the consequences of what they may be doing um, when they when they do partake in that. So that's, I mean, I don't know how to change that or how yeah. to fix that. The abs are never going to go away. I think it's, you know, it's more of a parent's responsibility to make sure their kids are, well, for one, personally, I think parents need to instill at a young age with kids. Um, you know, some emotional tools, confidence, you know, no matter what happens in the world, you are this, you know, just instilling this positive affirmations. I personally, my opinion, I think that has a lot to do with it. If a child can just roam free and they are the ones dependent on, you know, thinking for themselves and like they have to figure themselves out in the world with going through school and so many other human experiences, then they're more likely to just like succumb to the world around them, as opposed to having those strong beliefs instilled in them at a year at an early age. So I think that has a lot to do with it, but <laughs> absolutely. And yeah. you said you're four years older than me. So mm -hmm. you also lived in a time where like you were kind of raised by a TV. Like that was the new thing. You mm -hmm. had your cartoons were now all day, not just on Saturday mornings. Um, and I feel like a lot of people do give a lot of leeway to kids when it comes to social media mm -hmm. and apps and things that they're consuming. Um, but they're not giving those kids a safe outlet mm, to yeah. really debrief what they're learning. Um, so yeah, definitely having those conversations with kids is super important, making sure you're involved in, you know, what they're doing online. Yeah, definitely. Be because before, you know, you would get bullied at school and you can come home and you were safe at home. Now kids aren't necessarily safe at yeah. home because the bullying not only like is in the schools, but can follow them home to a much larger audience yeah. online. Yeah, that or the activity going on at home isn't safe either. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to, you know, being in high school, I graduated in 2008. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 15. And that cell phone was a Nokia flip phone. There was no smartphones. I didn't get a smartphone until I was 20. So that, I mean, that just plays such a big role. And as technology is increasing and our world is changing, that's why I do feel like kids are more susceptible to just be like, oh, well, I just don't want to, I just don't want to be here anymore. And it's just really sad because of what they face every single day. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you, like, if you do look at the statistics, um, it is the second leading cause of death with 24 to or 25 to 34 year olds yeah yeah it's now the third leading cause of death from 10 to 19 oh my gosh wow crazy so what going to legislature and legislation and all that what do you advocate for is it more like if you could describe is it more like a specific thing is it more overall the overarching you know yeah so afsp has a advocacy team um 
where they go through and they look at different legislation and they either um, oppose or support different bills that are going through the House and through the Senate. Um, and a lot of times they do, you know, or like create bills that they will propose to them. Um, and this year we had a bill that is bipartisan. Um, most of our bills are bipartisan. Uh, everybody, you know, within the government has some say in mental health because this is our future mm -hmm. and these are our children. Um, so one of the big things we were talking about this year was um, specifically getting more mental health providers into schools to have these conversations and more like focus on the students to talk about and give them outlets for mental health before it becomes a problem. Right. Definitely. It's not enough to just talk about the statistics all the time. Yes, it's like, absolutely. Uh, one in eight or all, uh, the percentage. It's just not enough because there has to be more, more has to be done. Yeah. And um, another one of our asks this year for legislation was more funding for 988, which was that suicide crisis lifeline um, that we talked about earlier. And what what we asked for them was the more funding for it. But what we've seen is since it became a three digit number. We're kind of like 911. It's, yep. it's easier than dialing like, oh, 1-800 and like having 10 numbers. <laughs> exactly. So they combined um, the crisis lifeline into the 988, which is the three digit number. And it has online chat as well as um, text messaging. Yeah. And what we've seen is an increase of 1,000% in the text features. Wow. Which we know that that is the main way that... Yes, you got to like meet them where they are. Exactly. Yeah. So there was a huge need for that. So we're hoping that with the increase of people contacting for support mm -hmm. services, that that will decrease the suicide rate. Yeah, definitely. And um, we have also had studies come back that show that 80 89% of those phone calls and texts they get, the issues resolved right there. Wow. So they don't even need like medical intervention or anything. Wow. Is there so, a common theme that people are texting? Like, what is it like? What's like the first thing that people would normally text if you know that answer? I don't have yeah, that answer. I wonder to if that. it's like, I'm feeling like this right now. I don't know what to do. I have no one to talk to. I'd be very curious to know like what the you know, putting it, if you could categorize it, what, what that would be. And the yeah. fact that it gets resolved right there, that is amazing. That's yeah, crazy. It, it's, it's truly been a blessing. Yeah, so. that's great. So going back, I kind of want to get more into like your personal story with um, like maybe the people in high school or even with, with your mom, like, and I know for me, I feel like my life was like, there was my life before my mom did that and my mm -hmm. life after my mom did that. You know what Absolutely. I mean? It totally changes the trajectory of your life. It could go, you know, either one way, good or bad, choosing or depending on how you choose to um, to deal with it. So, so yeah, maybe explain a little bit more about like your mom's situation, like your family. How did that affect your family? How did it affect you? Anything yeah. you want to talk about there? So my mom was very sick from the time I was... I want to say 10 years old. She was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, she had the progressive type. So she started deteriorating um, physically mm -hmm. uh, for many, many years and really rapidly. So by the time I was 15, 
Um, I was the one raising my brothers and, mm. you know, helping my dad. My dad traveled for work a lot. So it was like a lot of pressure on me. And I know that that made my mom miserable because mm. all she wanted to be was a mom. Yeah. How um, old are your brothers and how many? Oh, my goodness. I have three brothers at the time that she was diagnosed. Um, oh, geez, I was 10. So my oldest of the younger was four, two and six months. Wow. So they are a lot younger than oh I am. Oh, my gosh. And you were 15? I was 10 when oh, she was diagnosed, oh, but 15 when wow. I started taking care yeah. of them. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So their their lives were much more different than mine was. Um they didn't really know who my mom was before mm. she got sick. So I was kind of like the mom role, mm. which just messes up a whole family dynamic anyway. Um, my husband and I had our first daughter. We were very, very young. So we kind of had to start our lives and moved out of the house, um, which put like a lot of pressure on my dad. And mm. I know like it wasn't necessarily the most stable lifestyle for somebody who wasn't used to being like a provider in that way. Yeah. He's more of, I, you, he makes the money and then yeah. that takes care of the family. Yeah, exactly. So I know that that put like a lot of strain on their relationship as well. Um, I never knew my mom had mental health problems. I knew that she was sick physically, like, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, af after the fact, because it wasn't anything that you would think of, uh, talking to a lot of family members, they would tell me, yeah, she's had mental health struggles since mm. her early 20s. Mm. Is that um, crazy how that just pops up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, where I was this information when I needed it? Yeah, I didn't know she was on Prozac or, you know, any of the medication yeah. she was on for depression and anxiety um so I it had not even been a thought but when you're looking at somebody who has a physical disability like that and that's all you really see mm. and you're just like they're just their behavior and mood is like that because of exactly their limitations physically exactly yeah. and I I was so young too that like anxiety and depression what was that yeah yeah so um I mean obviously you have negative emotions growing up a lot but you don't attribute it to something as being so serious so um when my mom died by suicide I got the phone call and I remember it was actually election day and 2016 mm. so like everything was chaos anyway oh my gosh um, so around November yeah. 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 November 4th. Mm. Um, and we were supposed to go down to visit my mom that day with my two kids at the time. Um, and I was just really tired. Like I didn't, I wanted to take a nap while the babies were napping. Mm, yeah. Um, and my dad was blowing up my phone. Um, mm. and I just kept ignoring the phone call. I was like, I'm trying to sleep. Obviously not like, knowing what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then I actually, like, I couldn't fall asleep, like, because, I mean, two kids is mm. exhausting. Mm. So I was laying on the couch scrolling on Facebook, and I actually found out from the local news network on Facebook what had happened. Oh, my They gosh. had posted um, an article about 45 minutes after the the police were called. Oh my gosh. What is this like a small town? 
Uh, it's Northport. Oh my yeah, gosh! 45 minutes wow. South of here. So, um, an article on Facebook is already out. That's that's kind of insensitive because you, that's not mm-hmm. enough information to get it out to all the family members. Exactly. And the the one thing that I recognized was the street address. I was like, oh, maybe this is why my dad was calling me thinking, you know, something happened with the neighbors or something. Um, And I clicked on it and it had my family's address on there. So I immediately called my dad, like thinking like, this is like some mistake. Is there what's going on? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Um, it just said that there had been a death at the address. It didn't say anything mm-hmm. about manor or anything like that. And then, you know, I spoke with my dad and um, we headed down there. We dropped the kids off at my husband's parents' house and headed down there. And it was like this most strange feeling because... It's very strange. Like, you yeah. know that they're there all the time. Like, that's somebody you can always call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and not having that anymore was a very tricky feeling yeah. to navigate. Yeah, definitely. So how old were you at the time? I was 21. 21. And then you're married with two kids. And then how old are your little brothers at this time? So now they're like, Oof. let's um, see. I. And then they all live all, at the house. They all lived okay. at the house. And um, my middle brother, he, I want to say he was 11. Okay. I'm trying to do the math in my brain. So my oldest brother was 14. Yeah, so my middle brother was 12, and then the youngest one was 10. Mm. And the middle, my middle brother was the one that found her. Oh, my gosh. Uh, How do you think your family has dealt with it? Um, Not in the best ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that... Again, my dad was always the, I make the money to provide for the family, not the, I'm going to put them in therapy or Yeah, the anything. emotional support, the yeah. So <laughs> the house cleaner, the food, the cook, uh, the laundry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I was still that person mm. where I was trying to do everything I could to make sure like my brothers were okay, while mm. also like really trying to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I want to say it wasn't until my first walk with AFSP that, it, like, I allowed myself to feel those emotions mm. of grief. Years later? hmm Yeah. Yeah, I kept it all bottled yeah. up, and I was just like, it's fine, like, yeah, we have one day at a time. very <laughs> similar stories, very similar. I have three other siblings. Oh, wow. um, my dad was always the, you know, he was the um, breadwinner. My mom didn't work. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, I, your, your mom obviously had kids at the house, but to me, I personally believe that when we were all out of the house, cause we were all older, she kind of just lost her identity in, in the world, her place in the world of I'm a mom, I raise kids, I take care of my husband. And when yeah. those things were no longer needed, she didn't feel like she was needed anymore. Um, and so same thing, like, um, actually my little brother, and little sister, they actually heard it. They were outside the door um, when she did it. So they didn't like find her. They had already found her before she did it. And unfortunately, I mean, when you're in that low of a place, knowing your little or knowing your children outside the door, 
and still decide to do it. Like you have to be in such a low place to yeah, do that. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, same thing. Just complete shock of the body. When my sister called me and told me what happened, we gotten, I was married at the time we got in the truck and just, I like threw on clothes. We got in the truck and I was in, I was in so much shock that my body was physically shaking like uncontrollably, but I wasn't crying. I was just like shaking, yeah. like just, and that's when like trauma just ensued and then it was, you know, oh, we got to plan the funeral and just disassociated from life altogether for a couple of years until I finally addressed it and had to had to deal with it. And then, like I said, it's just like ever since ever since then, it's just been my life after that has been like, I mean, I'm hopeful I mean, I'm taking it and hopefully doing things and not letting it go to waste in my own life yeah. personally and then trying to help others as well. So that's that's how I got to where I am today. That's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> that's why I met you at the walk. And um, so yeah, it's just it's um it's so crazy how it's such a quick instance. It's like it can happen yeah. like that, but the ripple effect has a long lasting effect. Absolutely. And I don't know if your mom ever ever does she ever say anything about like she didn't you know, I ever had the thoughts or she said out loud, like, I don't want to be here anymore. Or She um, had attempted several times before that mm. I knew about. Um, one of the times, like, I literally, she locked herself in the bathroom and I had to break down the bathroom mm. door, called the police. I was probably about 16 or 17 the first time that I had witnessed an attempt. Mm. Um, so, like, there was always that sign there, but at the same time, my mom was also under the influence of a lot of different medications and stuff like that. So I didn't think it was, I thought it was more like a medication thing. Mm, like having a reaction <laughs> to medication. Other yeah. than, yeah. Yeah. Like actually attempting suicide. Mm, so mm -hmm. um, most of the time, even in her state, she was either like sleeping or she she wasn't the most pleasant person mm. but she still tried to like be a mom yeah. yeah um so everything pointed to the physical disability not a mental disability yeah. but at the same time being so young and not knowing warning signs or you know not really understanding like the implications of mental health mm. um it was it was pretty hard to see yeah so now do you feel like you understand more of the warning signs of mental health? I feel like I'm learning every day. Yeah. Like if you could, um, if you could give someone advice right now of what kind of what you witnessed and now what you, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would, like, is there any, what would you tell your younger self that maybe someone is in that position right now? All right, so I'm always trying to do right by my body. So when it comes to my hair and scalp health, finding a product that actually works and is made with clean ingredients always seems like a trade-off. But with Vegamore, I get products that are made with clean ingredients and give me visibly healthy hair and scalp. I'm able to have visibly thicker, fuller, shinier, longer hair, all without the harsh ingredients. Even better is that Vegamore products are 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. 
since I have been using the Grow Essentials Kit, which contains all of the products you need, I swear my hair is growing so much faster. And when you sign up for a monthly membership, you save more and you never run low on the products you need to take care of your hair. The key is consistency in your routine for your most beautiful, healthy looking hair. I use the Vegamore Grow Hair Serum daily and my hair and scalp are flourishing. Fun fact, Vegamore sells one bottle of Grow Serum every 15 seconds on their website. That's when you know it's good. Get the hair you have always wanted with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com habits and use code habits to save 20% on your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash habits, code habits. I would say to always listen. If somebody, even if somebody doesn't want to talk about it right, right away, just be like, okay, well, I'm always here if you mm-hmm. need to. Um, if somebody says that they are having those thoughts, take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, if somebody has attempted, get them the support they need afterwards. Or if you know somebody who is suffering from a loss, definitely be there to be a resource for them mm-hmm. um, to talk to them about what they're feeling. Because, I mean, aftershock is so real. Yeah. Um, so just really being there for somebody who's struggling with mental health, um, helping them with like resources if they need to find a therapist and they just don't want to. Um, just, yeah. Just not. I know it's hard. There's a fine line between pushing too hard and then mm-hmm. being like, well, I'm here for you. But I also want to help you, but not if you don't want me to help you. It's just such a hard situation. So when your mom had attempted a couple of times, what was the like um, the process after that? What did you guys, did you just be like, oh, that kind of sucked and we don't really know what to do? Yeah, yeah. that, that was kind of how that went. Um, she was admitted to a mental health facility. Mm. She would call me every single day, get me out of here. I don't mm. belong here. Um this is not where I'm supposed to be. Mm. So like, again, that reinforced in my brain. It's just her physical disability. Yeah. Like she really doesn't want to be there. She's, but at the same time now I know, no, she really should have stayed there longer. Oh, wow. To, Very to get the help yeah. that she needed. Um, but as far as like her mental health and stuff like that went, I was so young that I didn't really know much about therapy or anything like that other than um, I had been forced to go to therapy, I want to say, like, my sophomore year mm. um, for From stuff. From your parents? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my mom at the time was still, like, really overbearing of a mom. Mm. So she she made me go to therapy to deal with, like, um, how I was handling her changing with the Mm. disease progression yeah interesting so like that was my and then when I would get there I would just want to like talk about my boyfriend and stuff like that (laughs) I'm like I don't know why I'm here yeah like I'm fine yeah um but it's crazy that she would push for your emotional mental well-being so mm -hmm. much while not taking care of her own exactly and I think that was a way I do I do recall a fight that I had with her one time um being young and you know, dumb. And I just, I didn't want to go. I was like, there's no point in me going to this. Like, I'm totally fine. Mm. Um, and she would get like super agitated about it. I'd be like, you're the one that needs therapy. Mm. And I would like throw that back in her face. And 
honestly, it was true. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, you're like, this yeah. is a projection of what yeah. you really needed. You're putting it on me and making me do all the things that you really need to do. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. Crazy. Um, how do you, obviously, hopefully you, you know, take your own precautions with your own mm -hmm. self and mental well-being and emotional well-being. So what does that look like for you? Oh, I do a bunch of different things. I didn't, I always thought that because I knew so much about mental health that like I would be fine. And um, a couple of years ago, I started having really, really bad panic attacks mm -hmm. and they just came out of left field for no reason. Um, so I definitely had a very hearty lifestyle change. Um, I stopped drinking any type of caffeinated drink. So I'll have like a green tea, mm -hmm. um, but lots of water. I have a very, very strict routine now where I'm, you know, working out. Um, I'm eating the right foods and just really taking care of my body and being in control of my body. And I feel like that has allowed me to take more control of my mind as well. Mm, so um, good. It's, yeah. That's that's the cure. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I feel like. Once I started doing that, I was like, I don't ever want to feel like yeah. this. And then I had that fear because of my mother. Um, I took it very seriously. Yeah. Journaling, yeah. meditation, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah, same. I, it's it's sad because I don't want to say, I don't want to end up like my mom because there were so many good parts of her. Yeah, so I don't, I, and when I say that, I don't mean the good parts too. I just mean the bad, quote unquote, bad parts, the ways that she couldn't you know, deal with her own self. She mm -hmm. had a lot of unresolved trauma coming to find all this out after, of course, lots of unresolved trauma, just never really wanted to talk about her feelings, made everything about everyone else. And it was never about her. It was never about what she needed first. Um, so I think just one of the, like my big advocacy for what I'm trying to do and help mainly women, I would say I, I gear more, more to women is um, and I was just talking to this with my boyfriend in the car of just, I think every woman needs to have something of their own going on in their lives outside of your kids, outside of your husband, outside of your friends. Like, what do you do for yourself first and foremost, like a routine, um, a passion, a purpose, yep. because I think if everything else was gone, what would you be doing with your day or your life? You know, so that's, I, it's, I really advocate for that for women. Cause my mom just didn't have that. She was like, yeah. well, if I'm not a mom and a wife, then what am I? So exactly. that, that self identity, yeah, self identity, really strong self identity. <laughs> um, and then also it goes back. I mean, it's hard to say it starts with the parents, but then that's like such a, obviously a generational thing. Um, yeah. so if you are a parent right now, you need to get right and be able to pass that on to your, your kids. You can't expect your kids to do all the work while you're not doing the work. Um, to prevent this. I think it's so preventable. I think it's, um, I think it's lack of being able to communicate, lack of being able to share feelings. Um, lots of c comparison, obviously on the internet today of, um, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that. Like, so I'm not anything. And there's like that standard that society sets on, on kids these days. And so it starts with the parents. So it's like, how can we better educate and inform the the parents on like, well, first of all, you definitely need to do the work on yourself. So you have the tools to instill and in, into your children and like break that cycle. Like I, I'm trying to break that generational cycle of this is how we just do, because actually on my mom's side, there is a history of suicide. There's, I think there's been three, um, 
three suicides, and then her brother actually attempted it when he was 19. Um, I mean, he should, I mean, this is harsh, but he should be dead. He shot himself in the heart and lived um, when he was 19. Yeah, so it's definitely runs on my mom's side. So, like, I just look at that, and I'm like, what can I do different? Um, then, so that's, and that's why I do what I do. <laughs> yes. It's so great, yeah. great purpose. Yeah. Have. So what are the ways? Yeah. So just tell me like kind of the ways, like, what do you see yourself doing for, you know, prevention, suicide, and like how you're involved in all this? Like, what's your goal? My goal is to really just educate people on suicide. We know that one in four people have some connection to suicide. Mm-hmm. So just opening up that conversation and talking about it um, really can save a life. So my hope is that the more that I can do in bringing education here locally, the more lives we could save. Yeah. And I think I feel like that's everybody's goal as well. Yeah. It starts, starts with you and then the community and then the nation and then the world. <laughs> so start with the community first. Absolutely. And that's so awesome. Everything that you're doing. I know we have the walk coming up in October. So yeah. we're, we're pushing for that with sponsors, with donations, ways you can get involved. So what are the ways that we can, people can get involved here locally first and then um, just nationally? Yeah, definitely. I would say come to our walks. They are truly amazing. Um, I don't think I would be in my journey of healing Mm -hmm. if I didn't go to a walk, Um, creating a team, sponsoring. If you want to sponsor the walk, we have um, different programs, not just our walks. Um, Well, I mean, we have technically three walks that we can do in a year. We have campus walks for high schools or Mm -hmm. colleges, the hike for hope, um, which we do typically in like May, June. And then our big out of the darkness walk, which yeah. is like our primary focus. We also do Talk Saved Lives, mm-hmm. um, which is a presentation for the local community. Uh, we have a gizmo for mental health, which is this cute little fluffy puppy dog that I'll, Oh my gosh, what is it? Like a stuffed it's animal? It's like a stuffed animal, but he has a book and it's all of, it's to help teach like elementary school students about like different emotions. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I think so, that's very like I've thought of that before. Like I want um, I, I used to work at a Montessori and this mom bought her, her kid like it was, it was like that. And it mm-hmm. was, I did have like different colors on it and like each color represented a different feeling. And if he, oh, that would be cool. yeah, if he was feeling something, he would like, I don't know, it had like eight oh, legs like on it. And it was like, okay, if I'm, if it's red, I'm like angry. And he would like, I don't know, it was really cool. That it was is like cool. a, a tool to help kids navigate their feelings and emotions and be able to communicate them. Yeah. I've thought about doing that. No one take my idea. (laughs) No, that's awesome. But Uh, yeah, yeah, so, so Gizmo, we're actually, I'm going to be presenting it to eight different libraries in September for suicide prevention. That's amazing. I love that. I'm excited. That's really cool. I have to learn more about that offline here. Definitely. Um, and then I'm trying to think of other ways. There's like so, another yeah, blank. there's so many ways. Um, oh, our, our advocacy. We yeah. do a lot of advocacy. We have state capital days, which is typically in February, as well as the ad- advocacy forum, which is every June. We mm. go up to Washington, D.C. and meet with the legislators. Oh, my gosh. So, so the last time you just went, you had the three. So you always bring three or you always bring asks. Yes. Like the three main things that you want. So how did that go? It time. was actually really, really good. Yeah, they were receptive. So, 
all all of the representatives we met with, we met mostly with staffers, mm-hmm. but they were so open. They all listened. Um, a few of them had stories of their own mm-hmm. that they were kind enough to share with us. Um, and I have sent out follow up. So awesome. I can let you know how that goes Yay. in the future. Yeah, definitely let us know. I'll have to keep, yeah. you, keep everyone updated on that as well. Um, if you could tell anyone right now that may be, let's say it's someone that's just having thoughts. What would you say to them right now? I would say that you are loved and people want you here. Mm. People need you here. People in your life, people in the community, even people you haven't met yet. You, you are needed here. And you were loved. So. Very true. I think a common thing that people say whenever they decide to make that decision is, oh, ever, it's just going to be better without me mm-hmm. or it's going to be easier without me. That's what my mom said. It was like, what did she say? It was just, oh, my grandma was like, what about your kids? And she was like, oh, they'll be fine. Like, they'll, it'll actually be better without me or something like that. So it's just, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's not better without you. It's actually much more difficult. It's a lot of navigating. It's a lot of feelings, a lot of grief, a lot of our own therapy that we have to deal with. So that's definitely something I would say too. It's like, it's not better without you here. So yay. And then on one last question we do on habits you love, we do like a megaphone moment. And this is where you just, if you could have a megaphone to the world and everyone stopped in their tracks and listened to Mm -hmm. you and you had to give one piece of advice that people actually like took away and they went and applied. I got to get, I have always have to get my megaphone. It's just a prop. It's not for real, but I want to put it out here. Um, What would you say? Like, what what is, what's one thing you know for sure about the world, about yourself, about anything? And if you could say it and people be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to take that and actually use it. What would it be? Oh, that's a great question. I would say not to look at your life from inside the jar. You got to take yourself out of the jar to look at your whole life. And that's, that's where you can see all the really, really great things. Whatever you're stuck in at the moment, it's just in a jar. Just take yourself out of the jar. Mm, I love that. That's great. That's a good megaphone moment. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm going to link out obviously all the everything for AFSP in the show notes, ways to get involved locally here with us. We'll be doing the walk October 8th. And at Nathan Benerson, if you are local here and um, yeah, just ways to get more involved with with um, suicide prevention, especially for teens. I love everything you guys have going on with the hotline, the 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 dog is so cute and um I should have brought it. yeah you should have okay it's okay we'll post a picture of them. um and yeah that's it so thank you so much for having this um you know tough hard conversation but definitely needs to be more talked about like we said just just talk about your feelings so Absolutely. <laughs> thank you thanks Cheyenne. For me. all right thanks
seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.